Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast, brought to you by Stam Audio. Stam Audio creates zero compromise recording gear that is light on the wallet. Only the best components are used, and each one goes through a rigorous testing process with one thing in mind, getting the best sound possible. Go to stamaudio.com for more info. And now your hosts, Joey Sturges, Joel Wanasek, and A.L. Levy. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Joey Sturgis Forum podcast. And today with us, we have a great guest who I actually met for the first time at NAM. His name is Ryan Bruce, otherwise known as Fluff on YouTube. How you doing? <laughs> what's going on, man? Thank you for joining us on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, I'll just say, what's the... what? It, what now I'm going to forget it. It's it's beards and something. Oh, what is riff, it? Riff, riffs, beards, and gear. Yeah, I love that. That's riffs, awesome. beards, and gear. It's manly. Yeah. It, well, you know, when you're branding, you wanna you wanna get that catching title, so that that seemed like the most appropriate and descriptive. Now that's that's <laughs> something that we uh, we actually talk about because we have a lot of people who listen to this, and I don't know if they really get the concept of branding. Oh man, or marketing. Uh, <laughs> right. And well, it's one of those words that's just thrown around a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Certainly. What does it really mean anyway? But. You know, you you have been fairly successful on YouTube, and and hopefully, uh, you know, you can offer up uh, a couple tips or some words of advice for people out there who are trying to, you know, do their own unique thing online. Yeah, um, uniformity, I think, is the the key the key factor. You know, your your username and your user handles all need to be the same across all platforms as much as possible. You know, the the Instagrams and the Twitters and the Facebooks and all that stuff. So when you're tagged in one thing and it gets pushed out to another, for example, and the Instagram photo and it, uh, they're also piping it out to Twitter, it's going to carry over to the same username. And I found this out the hard way when I think it was years and years ago, Zach Wilde actually tagged me on something and the username didn't, uh, was carried over to Twitter, but that wasn't my username anymore. I had changed it. And I didn't get any traffic from it at all. Oh man! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, "Oh man!" I had the I had the big epiphany there. So you know, uniformity and uh, choosing a correct name if that's what you want to do as far as branding a channel. You know, you really got to decide what you want to do, and then really, really just pound that concept and branding into the ground. Yeah, I think I've also noticed a lot of people who try to do too many things and they don't really focus on their I would almost call it the motto or whatever, you know, right. like the core. Yeah. What is the core of what you do? You know, and, and for me, it's it's help people make great music. And it's that simple. You know, you, you got to get it defined and narrowed down to like one sentence that only has like five to eight words. And that's what your whole everything you do goes back to that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I was going to say, would you agree with that? So, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, you, you can't spread yourself too thin, especially, you know, it's, you can kind of change things up once you do have a larger audience or once you, once you establish the audience, it's definitely much easier to kind of slowly branch out. And I can only use myself as an example, but uh, originally, believe it or not, the the original motto for my stuff was uh, less talk, more gear. And I was really, really hardcore gear oriented. And I was I went with that because I was really afraid to actually talk in front of the camera, <laughs> believe it or not. And yeah, and and I thought, oh, well, I'm just going to tell everyone that uh, I don't want to talk because I hate people that talk to the camera. And 
I kind of hid behind that for a few years and I did a, an FAQ in the hopes that it would lessen some of the questions I was getting at that time and people loved it even though I was terrible in front of the camera. So I just kind of dove into that, but it was, I had already been around for several years when I started, started to branch out and to do other stuff. So what uh, you, you just kind of filmed gear and talked about it, but never appeared. No, I never talked about it. I did a strictly in the mix and then maybe, you know, for example, but I mean, at this time I was begging to have anything sent to me for the channel. So I would do an overdrive comparison and I would just simply do an in the mix A, B, and then that was the video. Oh, uh, okay. It's real, real simple. And the talking thing just kind of happened out of a necessity, really. It was weird. Yeah. Now you're comfortable with it though. Uh, you know what? It's, it's helped me. I have a huge social anxiety, believe it or not, or I did at least for a long, long time. And the YouTube thing has really helped me kind of overcome that and that I'm not really... I'm not afraid to be in the middle of a crowd anymore like I used to be. It's cool. It gives you the opportunity to practice. You know, it's like it does. even if there's no one there, you're just looking at a camera. You have the opportunity and a reason to actually speak. And I think the, the same thing was true for me coming up as a producer. Just having the opportunity to work on someone's song is, is what made me become good at working on someone's song. Right. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't like I just jumped in and was like, oh, I'm the best producer ever. It's like I probably was very horrible when I started. I don't want to remember those days, but, you know, just having the uh, opportunity to try, I think, is important. Do you ever hear anything like of, of yours that that's really old? And do you, do you ever cringe? <laughs> I don't know. There's <laughs> I don't cringe per se. There's definitely some stuff where I'm like, oh, why did I do that? But. You know, I, I am pretty proud of, of my body of work, though, I, I would say. As overall, you should be, yeah. Yeah, overall, I think it turned out pretty good. But there's, you know, I think, like, for example, the the snare sound on Dear Love, uh, that Prada record. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, that's not the greatest ever. <laughs> I, I, I see a lot of my old stuff. I'm just like, what was I thinking? What Like, <laughs> seriously, I would love to ask myself, what were you thinking? As if you're a whole different person. Yeah, I can like, or I'll hear something and remember, oh man, I thought I had it figured out then with my yeah. PC and Logitech speakers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, share with us like a few things that you've been working on, because I know you mentioned a few times you know, like on your socials and stuff that you're, you have a band and you guys are like doing some band stuff. So tell us a little bit about some of that. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm, I formed a band called rest repose with my buddy, Jared Dines, and we've only been around since July, 2015, I think. And we did a five song EP and I had some songs laying around from the YouTube thing, but they weren't fully fleshed out songs. So we took those ideas and kind of fully, fleshed them out as a band and added verse sections and stuff like that. And we put out an EP uh, called the Sleep City EP in mid-December, and that did really well. And we are currently planning a uh, top-secret West Coast tour this summer in July, in fact. And it's our it's going to be our first tour. And we also kind of tracked a, a live-in-the-studio uh, EP with a few extra songs that have been written after the EP, and uh, we'll be mixing that shortly. I gotta gotta find time for that, but hopefully that'll coincide with the tour in July. So just been doing that a lot, band thing and mixing and YouTube stuff. <laughs> so what's a, what's a have you seen any gear like lately that 
blows your mind, like anything new that uh, you feel is game changing in any way or uh, just kind of answering the uh, question about a problem that's been around for a while. I mean, kind of like when the Kemper came out or something. Yeah, it's really rare when something is as game changing as the Kemper. I think for me personally, a lot of stuff, you know, I, I get hit up a lot by pedal companies that that always want to tell me they have the most revolutionary new overdrive or something like that. I'm just, or pickups. I'm so over the mo- you're over the most revolutionary overdrive pedal. Oh my God. I'm over, I'm over overdrive <laughs> how pedals and pickups. How many, to- how many times have you tried the most revolutionary overdrive pedal? <laughs> um, several hundred times to be exact. And it's cool. And they I get love- it better every time, right? <laughs> every single time it becomes closer and closer to it's the, like the light bulb. Yes, exactly. That's exactly it. It's, you know, yep, that's just like the original Tube Screamer that came out in 79. Like, that's... But better. But, yeah, but switches. It has more switches, and that's always good. I'm really digging the mini stuff. I I love where technology is at to allow no real sacrifice of tone and sound from a guitar player standpoint. Uh, For example, the mini heads, like the the PV6505 mini head is, uh, I mean, really properly blew me away. Um, Tell me about those. I heard about those. Uh, we have these chat rooms for our subscribers, mm-hmm. and I didn't go to NAM, and I haven't been up on the latest amps. And they were talking about these mini heads the other day, and I didn't know what the fuck they were talking about. So, uh, what are these like? Just like the normal heads, just small. Yeah, but the the circuit specifically for the sixty five hundred five mini is much much closer to the original 5150 in that it's almost an uncontrollable amount of aggression and it has the mid-range bark of the 6505s but it has just this real nastiness that the original 5150 has and i actually just uh, recently put out a video comparing in a mix all three of them together a b and seeing them and it hangs with the old school 5150 and it's, you know, $400. So when by small, do you mean that it's it's physically smaller and it's like less wattage? Yeah, it's it's powered with uh, EL84s which normally cannot come up with the low end that a 6L6 can, but PV actually added a uh, resonance control which no other lunchbox to my knowledge uh, has. And so it's very physically Oh, I would say it's a, it's just it's about the size of a Kemper, probably a little smaller than a Kemper powered head, something like that. And it's really, really good. Like really good. Can you power a cab with it? Yo, absolutely. You can uh, jam with a band with a 412 all day long. It's, it's 20 watts. Okay. I see. That's, that kind of blows my mind a little bit. It's really good. That's a good response to items like the Axe FX and the Kemper that are super portable, I think. And starting the band thing again, like I got it originally, but really the practicality of this, you know, the Kempers and the Axe FXs, I do get it. Cause I think about those every single time I am huffing a 412 cab into the back of the van or something like that. But you know, there's always sacrifice. Uh, there's always pros and cons to everything. And I don't know, man, I just, I just like two amps. So, you used to work at Boeing. I did, yeah. Yeah, I'm pointing that out because we've had a few guests on who have gone from having like a real job in the real world, yeah, career even, 
to uh, abandoning that and then making something of themselves in this alternate reality. Yeah. Um, so, and you've done that. So I just want to talk about that a little, if you don't mind. Sure, sure. How long did you work at Boeing? What did you do there? That's like a real person job. Yeah, I was uh, I was there for nine years. I come from, a, I was a fourth generation Boeing employee. You know, a, a member of my family has worked at Boeing since World War II. And I started out as a mechanic. I was an AC certified professional auto mechanic 10 years before I went to Boeing in 2007. And I got into the quality side and I ended up being kind of a, not higher up, but uh, I, I had my own cubicle and I had, I approved some fixes. I, I, I would approve the fixes for engineering and it was a cool job, paid a lot of money and the the transition came. It was always kind of planned, but it was, uh, it was a little sudden. I had uh, just started divorce proceedings with my then wife. And then three weeks after that, uh, I was fired from Boeing. It's Um, funny how it all kind (laughs) of goes together. (laughs) Yeah. So in the span of about a month, I lost my wife, my job and my medical insurance. And that that was in, that was in July of last year. So no other option, but to work with YouTube, I I had no other option. And and Airbus wasn't hiring. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. I have, I, I, if this all goes south, maybe I'll go over to Airbus. I don't know. But uh, I had a buddy who works, who kind of worked his way into Microsoft and then was just recently hired over uh, at Sony on the audio side of things uh, for video games. He messaged me and he said, you know, man, sometimes the universe just pushes you into the pool and it's up to you to swim. And I was like, oh, my God, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah, I was talking to a friend of mine about that today. I was like, he, you know, he wants he wants to sing in a rock band, but he's really good at singing at over EDM, and it's kind of a weird thing that just no one ever expected. That's interesting. And, and he's like, he's like, yeah, my bandmates get mad at me for doing it, but I love doing it and stuff. And I was like, well, you know what? You know, sometimes life gives you a pivot point. It's not something that you necessarily set out to do, but you end up being really good at it. And I've learned to just embrace it. You know, I've, yep. I've been pretty decent at producing records, but I feel like I'm a little bit better at, at this other stuff with the, with the education things and the plugins and all that. And I've just learned to go with the flow. Like, you know, it kind of sucks that I might not be producing the newest of Mice and Men record or something like that right now. Right. But at the same time, I've got a lot going for me in terms of, of this other side of the, of the industry. So I've learned to embrace that. And, and so I think, you know, understanding that, that part of life is, is very important for sure. And I don't think I did until those, that, that particular time period, you know, it was extremely tough. And I just, at that point I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go do this thing that brings me joy because nothing else can possibly be taken from me. And from that, I knew, obviously, if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. And I knew it would be kind of a a difficult start to kind of make that large of a transition. You know, I was a, you know, I'm a homeowner. I have a newer car. I have a couple of dogs. And I had, I have a 14-year-old daughter. And I have a lot of responsibility that you still have to keep up in the air and balance. Uh, So you've got a real adult life. Yes. And I was, I was the stereotypical married family guy going to work nine to five coming home and then watching Mythbusters until we fall asleep guy for a long, long time. And 
it wasn't until I had sleep apnea surgery in 2010 where I kind of had all this energy and I kind of basically woke up and that was the huge turning point. That happened for my cousin as well. He, he had sleep apnea, then he got surgery and just 180 his whole fucking life. Yeah. It would just, <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, yes, that's what happens. And it's, it's, a, it's an amazing experience, but that was not who my then wife married. Like I, I, I changed. I, I changed drastically, and she was pursuing, uh, and still is pursuing, you know, very high level corporate aviation stuff, and travels the world and all this stuff. And uh, I was not the guy that she married at all. Yeah. So you embraced that pivot point, though. You, I, mean, I did. Kind of had no option, I guess, in some way. No, um, I had no option. So I'd already. I'm, I'm the brand manager and artist relations guy for a company called Two Notes Audio Engineering as well, and I kind of had that as kind of okay. My mortgage is paid, so I, I can at least go full tilt in this YouTube thing and this audio thing. And I do mixing jobs on the side and for some other YouTubers. And at first, the first couple of months, oh man, I I was barely even able to afford a, a loaf of bread, but I knew if I stuck it out, it would it would just grow just because of the amount of time I was putting into it. And it did. <laughs> the Hail Mary worked. <laughs> How long did it take before oh, you were... I, I, I mean, you know, it's obviously still growing, but how long did it take before you were out of panic mode? Probably almost six months, honestly. Uh, it was December. And that's after how many years of buildup, though? Uh, five. Okay. See, most guys that we talk to who have made the transition say something similar, like maybe they were doing something for a year or two. Mm-hmm. And then they quit their job or got fired or whatever. The The transition point took place. And then six to 18 months later, they were not, you know, in fear for their lives anymore. It's a weird frame of mind to be in on a daily basis where you wake up and you're like, oh, my God, OK, I have to output, you know, for, for me, I have to output this many videos or do this many mix gigs in order to pay the electric bill, and then I might have enough to buy a loaf of bread and a can of soup for the next two days. Like, And that's that's where I was at. But you have to hurry up and be creative because, you know what, if you don't go upstairs and you don't record that funny video or funny, you know, FAQ Monday, well, then your living is done. So it's a really strange dichotomy and frame of mind to temporarily be in, but... Um, I think it was kind of necessary. <laughs> Especially when you came from the corporate world. Yeah. Um, every day you wake up going, oh, my God, I should be stuck in traffic right now. Like, I am really messing up my life. <laughs> that's that's what your brain does. <laughs> it's really weird. Was that a separate process to get over, or are you still kind of... Yeah, it was that. And then that, if I'm honest, it completely derailed the grieving process for the divorce, which was a long time in coming nonetheless. But... You know, all of a sudden you have no time to sit there and just kind of sit back and think about life and drink beer. You have to work. And I think it was only after that settled down where you can really start to evaluate yourself and, you know, your place in the world. For me personally, anyway. I like that story. I mean, you know, I think a lot of people, they feel like it's an uphill battle uh, now, especially in I guess in like audio production and stuff, it's like yeah. everyone, everyone does everything. Like every band has a guy 
that right. records and <laughs> right. uh, it's very saturated and, and competitive now. It wasn't like that when I started. So I, I, I do have a little bit of luck on my side. But what kind of advice do you think you could give just based on your experiences and stuff to people who feel that that uphill battle? I mean, what it, what is it do you think? What are a few things that got you through it? Um, the love of it. It all it all starts with doing it for the love of it. Don't ever do anything in any of this, especially in the audio world and the, and the music industry. Don't ever do it for money or for fame or for large social media followings. That will all come if you are simply passionate about what you are doing and love what you're doing on a day-to-day basis, A. B, be prepared to do a massive ton of work for absolutely free for a long time. <laughs> um, you know, a lot, you know, a lot of, the, if you, uh, I get guys all the time that are writing me that want to be in a studio and like, oh, I graduated and I have this class and now I can be, you know, an engineer. And I'm like, well, it doesn't really work that way. And you don't have to go to school. Now that's definitely going to help you on a technical level, but you have to have experience and you can only get, you can't start charging for this kind of stuff unless you have the experience and you get that experience by doing it for free. I'd say it helps on a theoretical technical level. It does. Um, not, not a real world technical level. No, but you know, learning a way around pro tools and learning how to hook up, you know, an upboard compressor or something like that. Okay, fine. You know, if that's what you want to go and spend your money on, who am I to say, don't do that. But real world experience and really having a whole bunch of bad days to start having good days is necessary. And also learning what the 7% of Pro Tools that actually is important to know how to use means a lot more than learning 100% of it and not knowing what to use and and how. Right. Totally agree. So I, I see a lot of people spinning their wheels. But yeah, I think... You're uh, you're absolutely right that the uh, the practical experience side is, in my opinion, everything. It is. It is really everything. And 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 having the audio thing with the YouTube thing, all that allowed me to do is get more and more experience for free faster because you're obviously visible. So people are going to hit you up for you know this mix gig or can you reamp these guitars or can you you know, can I come over and track this or that for cheap? And so I think the first time I ever charged for a mix, I charged $30 for, for, for a song. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. So that's, uh, that actually answers a question for a lot of our listeners. We have a lot of dudes who were wondering if they're too old or something, you know, like in their 30s or early 40s or something, even late 20s. Like we have dudes who are asking if they're too old to do this. And it's like, no, not really. (laughs) Uh, I mean, you're not 65, right? You're probably, I mean, so your story is a perfect example of right. right. Uh, I'm I'm 35. I turned 36 in November and I started doing this when I was uh, 30. At 29, 30, I just turned 30, I think. And uh, five years ago, I was literally trying to plug my guitar with a quarter inch to eighth inch adapter into my gateway PC. 
Yes. <laughs> that was me. I started the same way. <laughs> I, I did that too. <laughs> I think every man, there's got to be a meme in here somewhere. I'm going to make one after we're done. Except I did it into a Sound Blaster 16. I don't know what you did. Sound Blaster uh, for me. You did it. You had Sound Blaster. I had too? a Sound Blaster. Yeah. I wow. did too, guys. I did too. <laughs> Something to this. There's, oh, man. Which Sound Blaster did you guys have? I don't remember. Um, I had the EAS or EAX Sound Blaster thing. I don't remember. What I remember I it was like for video games mostly. Yeah. That's what mine was. It was. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, my dad helped me make, he, he had like, you know, a roll of, uh, of cable. <laughs> Dude, mine did too. <laughs> <laughs> he helped me make a really long cable that went from my bedroom all the way to the basement so that I could like put a microphone down there. And so what I would do is I'd go all the way upstairs, lived, it was a three floor thing. So I'd go all the way upstairs hit record, then run all the way down into the basement and then play my drums with nothing else. I wasn't listening to anything. I was just listening to myself play the drums by myself. That's awesome. Um, and then run back upstairs, hit stop, <laughs> and then like try to play guitar over top of it and like make sense of what I played on the drums. And I would... I would always play, I'd play like 15 to 20 minutes of just all kinds of drum beats and things and then just try to make a song out of it. And I wasn't <laughs> that's amazing I had, yeah i had no structure to my approach that's amazing i essentially did the same thing with guitar uh, i actually originally tried to record at home back in 1995 ish um at a at a vhs tape from a band called filter and they had a vhs tape called the phenomenology and it was basically their tour of the short bus record their first record and they have these incredibly quote unquote compact and mobile recording rigs, which consisted of two refrigerator sized racks of ADAP machines and all this stuff. And I thought, you know, that is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. I want to try, I want to try that. And quickly discovered in 1995 that there was no real home recording option at all for uh, a 15 year old kid to Ford yeah. anyway. And, uh, that was the first time I ever tried that, and I used to do the same thing. I would try to record stuff, so I would I would record with a microphone straight into the PC, and then randomly give friends like these awful tapes of just this noise. And I, don't, <laughs> I don't know why I did that. No, that's great. Uh, I I remember um, I would have people come over, and we would we would make like joke songs. You know, that was always the perfect excuse to to record because it was like if it turned out bad, it didn't matter. You know, it, <laughs> but if it turned out great, it was brilliant. Yes, and and you would talk about it at school and all that. So that's amazing. Uh, that's that's interesting to hear um, that a lot of us started in the same way, and I think the sort of the curiosity to to like experiment and find new sounds and new ways of getting sounds is is an, an important role in this as well. Right. Um, I mean, otherwise, you know, what interest level is there? It's it's not like you're going to build a, a massive amount of wealth out of it or anything like no. that. No. Uh, well, the one difference is my dad didn't build me any cables. I don't think that he understood the concept of electricity and music working <laughs> together for I still think he struggles with that idea. So, yeah, I, I got no help in that area. Damn it. But uh, I do remember that back then I was definitely doing whatever I could to try to generate sounds and figure out how to make them happen. No tutorials, no help, nothing. Flying blind. Yeah. way. I think about when I try to learn something now 
and literally I type it into Google or I download the manual right. to a piece of gear or something, right? Like if I want to remember something that a friend of mine does, I'll just uh, look up something they did on video or what they said on a podcast we recorded or what they said on Creative Live or who knows, right. like any any wide range of this shit that's available now. And, uh, you know, I can learn it in like five to 10 minutes and be on my way. Whereas back then it was literally flying blind, like you said. And I think that even though the information is out there now, the curiosity that it takes to get good when you're flying blind is equally as important now. I feel like the people who who harness that are the ones who are going to get ahead, especially now that it's so saturated and so right. easy. It's so easy to get at least mediocre now. You're that that's absolutely right. The the flying blind thing, I was when I got when I chose to get get back into the audio thing, I had a little bit of experience in video editing. I I briefly lived in California and recorded a record at in the Sound City facility back in 2005 with my old band and to pay for studio time, I professionally edited uh, adult movies. And I kind of figured... That's an awesome job. It, it was it was pretty cool. And I figured, well, it can't be that much different from video. It's just waveforms instead of video. So... Did I mean, you get to edit any of that super awesome porn music? Yeah, um, I, I was in charge of all that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. This is back in the days of the DV tapes, the mini DV tapes and... Uh, I worked for Red Light District, who put out all the uh, celebrity sex tapes and stuff. That, that's <laughs> you, that's who I worked you for. Help, you helped ruin lives. <laughs> I did. I did. One night, awesome. I didn't edit it, but uh, uh, one night in Paris had just come out at the time. And they were making huge <laughs> amounts of money, and we would go over to uh, we would go over to David's house, uh, who owns Red Light, and like Leo, Leonardo DiCaprio would be playing basketball every Wednesday. It was. <laughs> It was bizarre. <laughs> that is bizarre. Yeah. It and was, you were working at Boeing at the same time? No, no. I had uh, This is before Boeing. This is uh, two oh, years okay. before I started at Boeing. Okay. That was my original. Did you put that on your resume? I did not put that on my <laughs> resume. Uh, and I don't really often talk about that part because, uh, especially on the, well, on the channel at least, because like my little nephew even watches my stuff and I get letters from really young people so i'm, I'm our careful. audience will forgive you that's cool okay um this is the boys club so we, we can <laughs> basically yeah <laughs> yeah this is vegas so i didn't I, I figured it would be similar to that so when i started i spent a solid year and a half two years on reaper just kind of woodshedding and i had no idea plugins even existed i thought to get these plugins that people were talking about you had to get pro tools that's how naive i was and I just used all the stock plugins in Reaper to the best I could for years before ever buying a plugin, which is sounds hilarious now, but I just no, I have no idea. it sounds smart. <laughs> Unintentionally. I, honestly, I wish a lot of people did that. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's like, you know, a lot of people, uh, they fixate on, uh, you know, one thing that they don't have. You know, right. oh, I'd, you know, if I had just that, that ozone plugin, oh, my right. mixes would sound better. Nope, nope. That's <laughs> that's one of the <laughs> things that we teach is like you know you don't need a bunch of very expensive plugins uh, to get this done. Nope, you only need JST plugins <laughs> only. Now I w I will say this one thing though, one disclaimer. I feel like people misunderstand this because we always say that you know 
ears before gear and stuff. And mm-hmm. it's 99% of the time true. But like I did a mix crit for somebody yesterday where they're trying to do a metal song and they were using the Logic stock guitar sims and the Logic Ooh. stock drum instrument and then uh, pitch shifting a bass down. Oh my. And yeah, so like in that case, you're probably not going to get the result you're looking for no. almost no matter what you do. Unless you get really, really, really creative, I guess. Like, really? At a certain level, though, it's about tools, right? It's about, like, you can't really... I mean, I'm sure you could figure out how to use a screwdriver to hammer in a nail, but if you tried to build a whole house that Correct. way, it would just suck. That yeah. is a great analogy, by the way. Well, I mean, I showed him some how he can totally change his complete approach to this for under a hundred bucks. So, I mean, it's still not like, it's definitely not like fixating on ozone, which is a thousand dollar plugin and thinking that that's, what's going to make the difference. Like, you know, I'm just talking about some very basic tools. Um, I mean, kind of like the same way that if you want to record a guitar amp, you know, you don't have to go buy a Bogner ecstasy to be able to record guitars. Well, you can get a 5150, just don't, mic up a crate and think it's going to sound good. And you do need an interface. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, 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 I had to laugh when uh, it, it was several people on the, the, the Facebook group are asking, okay, I don't have a hundred dollars for a reamp box, but will this work? And I'm like, no, you have to have a reamp box. Impedance is important kids. Like, well, I just want to go straight out of the speaker out of my interface. I'm like, nope, that will not work. Yeah. Yeah, there's that you got to have the right tools at least. Yes, um, and I think you, you know you got to spend a little bit of money. Uh, you could get by a little bit stock. goes a really long way though. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's why we make these videos and right. we do these episodes about smart ways to spend your money because you know while there is a minimum investment to this all, like you need to have a computer that's going to be able to run the tracks. You need to have a DAW. You could get a cheap DAW, but you need a DAW, at least one that can perform tempo changes. Uh, Mm -hmm. And, you know, so don't, don't be getting mixed craft or something. Um, Or don't try to do this on garage band. I mean, Reaper can do that, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like, I know that, you know, some people make fun of Reaper, but Reaper's perfectly okay. Oh, man. There's, yes, it there's is. Nothing, there's nothing wrong with it. Um, I I just make fun of the skins. <laughs> that's, uh, but <laughs> yeah. like, no, there's nothing actually wrong with Reaper, and uh, it's perfectly fine. Yeah. There is a minimum investment to all this, but it's really not that much if you think about it. But whenever people ask for a solution like that, like how can I reamp and I give them the solution and they don't want to hear the solution. Yes. I, that reminds me of this Sean Connery quote that I'm not going to repeat, but, uh, about (laughs) I'll, I'll show it to you later. I'll just say that he says, and you tell it to them again and they don't want to hear it again. (laughs) I just kind of feel like you kind of give them the noose to hang themselves with because they'll figure it out. If they try to reamp out of, you know, the line out into the end of the guitar amp right, or something like right. that. They're going to figure it out real fast that it's not going to work right. It's going to sound like total shit. Yes, it will. So, so sometimes I feel like you just kind of, you can only push the right idea on people for so long until they actually go and try it 
and see why you've been saying this the whole time. It's the same thing with like room acoustics, things like that, or oh, like man. not yeah. not mixing in headphones, like those <laughs> yep. kinds of things. Like um, I was like that I guy. Did, lots of people are that guy. I yeah. just did a mix script for somebody who mixed one of our nail the mix songs all in earbuds. And uh, I could tell that he had some talent, but like the mix was obviously completely imbalanced and it took like a few minutes, but we deduced that, well, I deduced that he was using earbuds, Apple earbuds. Um, oh man. I don't mean like sure in ear monitors. I mean, <laughs> I like the, say, I the kind that come with your phone. Oh, um, and it's like, well, on some level, I wonder why someone would even submit a mix that was mixed that way. But on the other hand, maybe what they need is to mix it like that and then realize and then get the feedback, mm-hmm. or realize that it's just not going to work that way. And then then yeah. after that, try it with monitors and be like, oh, okay. yeah, that was me. I'm just I'm so stubborn. I, I have to figure it out for myself. I can't. It's it's really always really hard for me. Not necessarily now, but when I was first starting out, I was hell bent on just doing it the hard way. <laughs> I don't know why. It was, it was I weird. like that though. I I think you know sometimes that attitude puts you in the right state of mind to yeah to really accomplish these things. And I think we're a little bit uh, cut from that same thing because you know we we take an approach similar approach where it's like oh we need to learn how to how advertising works so here we go let's dive in just learn yeah roll up your sleeves and get dirty yeah love that yeah i live by it i'm gonna try to uh make a part of a living off of a podcast uh cool (laughs) let's do it (laughs) yeah awesome yeah uh, i it's the same it's the same kind of mentality the way i i've seen my career even though i've had various pivot points is that everything i've ever made money off of has been completely unrealistic and uh something where you just have to kind of throw yourself in and there's no real rule book for it so nope no yeah there's no real rule book for what we're doing online or for production for being in a band or anything like that but i've known enough people over the years who have done very well with all of the above to know that while there isn't a rule book there's some shared traits i guess Mm -hmm. or characteristics between the people who uh make it work and I think that one of those shared characteristics is, you know, people vary wildly in their character and personalities and all that. But one thing that I've noticed between just about every single person who's ever done well at this is that that curiosity and the stubbornness of uh, of not letting anything really get in their way when they want to do something. So, like, on a very small level, they want to learn how to reamp they're going to learn how to reamp, whether or not they have a reamp box there or not. If that leads them to buying a reamp box, it will, but uh, they're going right. to figure it out either yes, way. Yes, they will. Right. Yeah. That, 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 yeah, that was me. Um, I, I mean, hell, I sacrificed my marriage for all this stuff. So, you know, I just, if you lock into something, just do it. And it's, it's okay if you tell people, no, I'm going to do it my way. Thanks. You'll be back. <laughs> there's, there's a, I've I've noticed in romantic comedies they'll flip that script sometimes where it's uh, encouraged to maybe give up 
what it is you want to do for a marriage or something. And I, I yeah. feel like that doesn't work in the real world. No, no. It leads to misery. It does lead to misery. It really does. And man, I was, yeah, I was miserable for a really long time. <laughs> you don't seem miserable now. Oh, no. It's, uh, the irony is I'm now doing what me and my now ex-wife used to always fantasize about me doing while we were still married. It's it's so weird how everything flipped over the course of just a couple of weeks. And I suddenly didn't have my, my 10-year, very nice paying job with VIP or a 401k and paid medical insurance to this. And it's it happens fast. Well, the one, one other th- characteristic I've seen with people who tend to make this work is that they have to make it work, whether that's real or just perceived, meaning like it's it's real. If you think that's real, it's real, because if you think that's real, then you're going to fuck up the other things in your life you could be doing right. for this. Um, if you think that you have to make this work, then you're going to subconsciously sabotage everything else anyways. So, right. you know, like whether it's real or not, it doesn't, I guess, whether it's real or perceived, I think it's uh, real, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, yeah. Everyone I've known who's made this work doesn't really see another option. That's absolutely right. Which is why I think it's important also to maintain that flexibility that uh, this sounds kind of contradictory, right? No other option, but maintain flexibility. But that flexibility that we were talking about earlier about being open to pivot points, I think is super important while also seeing, while also feeling that there's no other option besides, I guess, this uh, general line of work, like going to make it happen no matter what, whether it's doing this job or that job or that job, going to make it happen. Yeah. The perfect example being the plugin thing, you know, the JST stuff. I mean, wow. You guys have really, I mean, that has grown into a, a proper thing. And yeah, thanks. And that's, uh, that's bravo. bravo, man. Thank you very much. Uh, you know, I never, it was one of those things. I never set out to make it a, a you know, it was at first it was a hobby slash side business. Right. But now it legitimately pays for my bills. And <laughs> that's incredible. It, yeah. And it's, uh, you know, I think discovering that I've been on this path and I think it kind of started, you know, somewhere around when we, we started this podcast, which is where I really figured out what I'm here to do. Like what my point, what my purpose is, uh, I guess on earth is to help people with music. And so once that locked in and made sense with, with, you know, everything that I'd ever done, plus all the things that I was planning to do, I was like, ah, you know, yeah. Eureka, it all makes sense. And so, yeah, I've been very fortunate um, that it's actually working and, and I'm very grateful to be able to help people uh, in so many different ways. And and this is one of them and bringing people like you on the show and and sort of exposing your story and building some advice off of that. I think, you know, you're you're helping us do that and, and you're doing the same thing for, for others. And that that's kind of all I wanted to do too. I set out to just educate and help people yeah it's all it's all related man yeah it really is that so so great to have you on here and uh 
thanks for you know spending some time with us and i guess you know if you want people to find you online which isn't very hard <laughs> but uh where would you want to point people if they wanted to find you online they can just go to youtube and search fluff and they'll find they'll find the channel or um everything of mine is uh riffs and beards username and uh the address on facebook slash riffs and beards um youtube they don't allow you to change it so that's still fluff 191 but I wish I would have chosen a different uh, channel name. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, man. And the band name is uh, Rest. What yep. is it? Rest Repose with a comma. Got it. Rest Repose. You guys can search that on Facebook and find that very easily. Very easy. Um, yeah. So thanks a lot, man. And uh, you know, congrats on everything that you have going for you. And and also, I just want to mention you guys listening here. Check out the two notes stuff. Really awesome stuff that they're making over there. They've got some cab simulators that uh, I was checking out at NAM. Can you tell us a little bit more about that, just real quick? Yeah, the uh, the cab simulators and uh, basically start with a single rack version of a, a called the Torpedo Live. It's the Torpedo series, and there's also Torpedo Studio. And growing in popularity, it's a hardware version of of a, a an impulse loader, digital impulse loader, and you can hook your tube amp up directly into it and then go right out to the front of the house with no cabinet needed. Uh, Gojira's been touring with our stuff for years, so if you've seen Gojira live in the last two years, you've you've heard two notes. It's been pretty cool. And they you've, sound you've heard you've heard only two notes coming out. Of <laughs> yeah. But they're two good notes. <laughs> they're very good notes uh, along with the harmonic raking. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Gojira's notes are awesome. Yes, they are. Maybe you could describe for people how that's useful also in a recording setting. Um, I use it, man. I I use it probably too much because I haven't mic'd a cab in quite a while. But for example, with the Torpedo Studio, you can sit and you can hook it up via USB to your computer, and you can move around the virtual mics on your cabinet. And I can have the I can be reamping right into the head and in real time, just kind of move the mic around or mics around and get a tone in the mix, reamp it, give it a pass, and then see what's going on, and then quickly change it, and I can do that silently. So if you're in an apartment or a, a place where volume is an issue, it's definitely the way to go. Can you enter in your own IRs? Yes, you can. You can load uh, third-party IRs, uh, waves, into it all day long. And that's actually really, really amazing. Yeah. it's. I, I used this stuff before I started working uh, for them. And that's kind of how I got to work with them or work for them is I, I checked out a torpedo live and did a capture, uh, of a very old, rare Marshall cab that, uh, fastback studios has up in shoreline, uh, as one of their cabinet models that you can use and just kind of grew from there. Uh, really wonderful people at two notes. That sounds like a great evolution on what I used to use. I used to have a Palmer yeah. uh, back and I used to tour with one like 10 years ago and sound guys loved me because they didn't have to mic my shit, but I still had real amps. Um, right. And then I guess people also started using ISO cabs, but those never really sounded right. I agree. Yeah. So yeah, uh, this is such a great evolution. Yeah. I, I think uh, going back to your original question, yeah, the, the two note stuff uh, has also completely blown me away. Two notes has only been around for about five years or so at most, so we're still we're still a small little company. Uh, yeah, but great reputation. Oh, uh, thank you. Yeah, everything I've heard about it is uh, is great, and I know from 
I guess, using cab simulators back in the day, how useful they can be. So I, I just figured that by now they're so much better than what I was using. Oh, man. Uh, and we also have a plug-in version of just the cab part where you can add up to four cabs at once. It's called the Wall of Sound. That's uh, free to download. Uh, from the website and it comes with oh, i think i think it comes with five cabs thanks again man dude thank you so much we'll we'll be talking to you shortly sorry man the unstoppable recording machine podcast is brought to you by stam audio stam audio creates zero compromise recording gear that is light on the wallet only the best components are used and each one goes through a rigorous testing process with one thing in mind getting the best sound possible go to stamaudio.com for more info to ask us questions make suggestions and interact visit urm.academy slash podcast and subscribe